What is going on? My name is Michael Hacker of the Hacker Outdoors podcast. On today's show, Joey and I hit on a number of topics from snowboarding, Colorado being Never Never Land, Florida Man Strikes Again, and we go down the Utah monolith rabbit hole and speak of some other strange sites across America. I hope you enjoy as much as we enjoyed recording, and without further ado, here we go. Okay. Joe, thanks for joining us, man. Anytime. Always a pleasure having you back on. Yeah, it's the goal is to have you back every week. I, I, you know, love chatting with you and kind of touching base on everything that's going on in the world. Um, I, I wanted to jump in first and, and talk a little bit about last week's show. We talked a little bit about homing pigeon or carrier pigeon. Um, you know, those are domestic pigeons also derived from the wild rock dove. Um, but there definitely does seem to be a difference between, you know, what is extinct and what isn't. I believe the carrier pigeon um, is actually the extinct one, but I might be wrong on that. So I'm not at all a, a proper birding person quite yet. Um, but the English carrier pigeon is saying that it is a show pigeon. It's not a modern homing pigeon. So there, there's definitely a difference there. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go much deeper than that. So um, yeah, we do so, not claim to be a bird expert. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And it's nice. Uh, I'm, I'm back in my office. So the, the wife finished work a little bit early today. And um, I'm able to reclaim my office for a little while rather than being downstairs. So I, I, I like this. I got my big monitor going. Um, got my, you know, big webcam going. So hopefully things look a little bit better, sound a little bit better and are, are good to go. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm working on that. This, this is my fishing room. Um, it's not quite done yet. Still got a lot to do, but it's got is all that, my gear. Is that your Sims? Oh, that's my old Sims from, um, oh, that's my old Sims. there we go. That's my old Sims from back when I had my very first shop. So you have one of those, what is that? Yeah, that's, that's the same like, one I have, the FS600. That's my daughter. That's, yeah, see, 18, 19 years old. I, I, get, I actually recently gave mine to, to Jimmy and Ryan. So I had two old boards that I gave to them, um, at least something for them to learn on before they go out and actually have their parents spend a significant chunk of change oh. on them. And um, so they have them both. And I told them when they're done with it, I want it back because I want to hang it downstairs in the workroom. Yeah, I mean, it, it's for, for 20 years old, it still works absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. I enjoyed riding. I rode it up until two seasons ago, I think. I rode that one, not that exact one, but that same model and another model of the Sims in that year, in that season up in Colorado. And I had over a hundred days on, you know, beat it to hell. And it was great. Everything. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. They made quality boards back in the day. Yeah, I'm, I have been for years, but I, what do I have now? I have a um, forum. I think two years old. Is it a forum? I think it's a forum. I forget what it is. But yeah. Can't yeah I, got a, I got a nice Rossi board. I got uh, two seasons ago and at the end of two seasons ago and wrote it all last season. It's a shorter board, um, a heck of a lot more control, but the technology has changed so drastically. I mean, the conditions here in the New Jersey is just so icy that, um, you know, like, the traditional boards they just couldn't stick sometimes you're coming around these turns and just skid out and and fall i broke my wrist i think we were talking about it like twice snowboarding i got ran over by some woman um, <laughs> while i was teaching someone how to snowboard and then Isn't one time i just when it happens ah oh, dude her she was a two planker that's what we call skiers. <laughs> two planker. she went 
I don't know how the heck this happened. And I was teaching someone who was holding their hands and showing them how to snowboard. And um, one ski went under my board, the other ski went over the board and we both tumbled down the mountain together. And that's, I was the last time I broke my wrist and it. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that happens quite frequently, unfortunately, which um, two plankers, you know, when I lived out West, I remember I, I thought everybody was messing with me, but you know they kept seeing people fall off the lift all the time. I'm like, yeah, no, there's no way. Yeah. Literally, opening day, within 20 minutes of the lift spinning, somebody fell off the lift. Like I couldn't believe it. How's that happen? 20 minutes in the opening day, fell off. The, I can't tell you. You know, it blew my mind, and it happened quite frequently, which was another thing that was mind blowing to me that. It happens so much, you know. And another we, thing we get was the people coming there who who weren't super advanced skiers or snowboarders, and you know, glades, tree runs. There, there's certain tree runs out there that are tree runs, but what these people would do, like they would just ride off the side of the trail in the woods that weren't necessarily tree runs and just hit trees. Like it, it was crazy <laughs> to see. It was nuts because I mean, it was parents and kids like just going full speed in the trees. It makes you wonder, man. It really makes you wonder. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not an expert by any stretch of imagination. I've been snowboarding since the senior year of high school. Um, Yeah, but not not as frequently. Like, I had a few years that I didn't go. You know, I couldn't afford a pass, and you know, just kind of fell out of touch with people that were snowboarding. So I wasn't going myself. Brian wasn't snowboarding for a bit. Um, but when you went out to Colorado, you were in uh, Breck, right? Right. Yep. And that was, yeah. let me think about this, 2002 season? 2002? I think it's 2002. 2003. Yeah. 2002, yes. Yeah. It's best so right, I, right I went to 2000. Breck, the, no, did we, I went the following year. I was there in the summer of 2003. So yeah, you had just left. Um, yeah, you know, I was just passing through and I stayed with your old, your old crazy friends out there. And, um, it, yeah, I couldn't imagine what it must be like in the, in the there was some, uh, quite some characters out there at the time. <laughs> I've heard it's changed a lot, which I heard with, with, with the, with the weed industry, it's kind of changed the town a little bit, you know, how true that is. I don't know, but when I lived out there, it was beautiful because Breckenridge was, is one of the places that's actually it was a town before it was a ski destination so it was an old mining town back in the day um a lot of these resorts there was nothing there before you know yeah. and they just built it up but but breckenridge was actually an old mining town you know one of the bars we used to go to i forget the name of it used to be a brothel <laughs> so it, you know you could still see where all the the, the rooms were for the the working women but with, yeah. with the bar did they put like different games in there like one had like a pool table and one had you know pinball or whatever it was yeah. really cool it was a cool town it was really fun living out there i gotta i gotta be honest when we i wrote a book and hopefully one of these days it'll get published been trying to hawk it all over the place trying to get it out there um and i you know it's based loosely upon my travels but um you know, I, I call Breckenridge, the, you know, kind of never, never land. Well, Colorado in general, I call never, never land. But it, Breck for me was just, I, I couldn't take it. It was too much. Like, I couldn't wait to leave Breck. Like, and we were there in the middle of summer. And, and to be completely I honest. Imagine, 
it's probably swamped that time of year. Yeah, but it's also like the type of people that we were running into compared to, we had come from Telluride. Telluride is absolutely stunning. And, you know, it's, we were camping and then we went to live into this, you know, we were staying with your former friends out there and in their their cabin. And it was just, it was overwhelming. It was kind of like coming out of the desert and, you know, after camping for a few weeks and going right into Sin City and going into Vegas and just being inundated with just all this noise and chaos. And you're just like, I can't take this. I've I've been in the wild for too long. Like, I don't want to do it. The best part is what there's, there's one stoplight in the town, maybe two, you know, I used to only try to snow. I I would really only ride during the weekdays because it, it was just dead. Nobody was there. It was absolutely phenomenally just gorgeous and quiet. But on the weekends, I think on the holiday weekend one time, they were approaching like 90 some thousand people on the mountain. Now it's a huge, vast space. So it's not jam packed like you would think, but right. It would get packed on holiday weekends in there. I, I can imagine the summer out there is just as crazy. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely interesting. I mean, Telluride was a little Breaking different. Breaking news just came in. Donald Trump pardoned Michael, uh, General Flynn. Oh, look at that. Breaking look news. That. I had to, I, sorry, I had to tell you that, Mike. It just flashed across the screen. Hey, I know. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll do a little segue there. Um, yeah, I, I would love to make it out west to snowboard. I never had. I actually worked, I almost worked for a company before I started working at my travel company, my first job after college um, for a company that strictly did skiing and snowboarding trips out west. And, you know, that would have been awesome because it was they in the travel industry, they call them fam trips or familiarization yep. trips where they send you to these places to so that you get to know them so that you can truly talk about them and, and upsell them or whatever it is you're doing. And you know, it, it was very interesting, but I, unfortunately that fell through. And I think the company is now defunct because of course the internet takes over everything, right? The internet takes everything. Well, the, the, the year I lived out there, that winter was the best snow eyes they had ever. Um, it's been broken since then, but by Thanksgiving, so by this time when I lived out there, Vail was a hundred percent open, all the back walls, wow. everything. Oh, wow. It got to the point that you know, 10 inches of snow, 12 inches of snow, you're like, eh, that's, you know, we're not going out today. Like, uh, I mean, we were getting dumped on. There was one day I was, um, one of the guys that lived out there, Andrew, we called him Spanky. Andrew and I were riding um, up in the far reaches of Breckenridge, and we were waste of chest deep powder. I mean, it was insane how deep the snow was that year and how quick and how fast it came um and i think two years later that that record was broken you probably remember they had on the news like national guard had to be sent in yeah. out there to, yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was nuts that lincoln tunnel i think it's lincoln tunnel you go through from denver to go up there was constantly closed down just because of the amount of snow we were getting it was phenomenal Absolutely phenomenal. See, I, I wouldn't even know what that would be like. I, you know, I've done a couple trips here on the East Coast. I've done, you know, but never have I seen powder like that. And it's, you know, mostly artificial snow. I mean, Jay's Peak, right? I think is the snowiest place. Say, they get over 300 inches a year. I went up there before I hurt my knee. So we're talking like six years ago. We were up there. We went up before Thanksgiving. I actually think it was like, 10th of November. Remember when I stopped and saw you guys? Yeah, yeah. We ended up getting like two feet of, of fresh snow, and it was phenomenal. Dry powder, beautiful snow. But the only difference is 
the second day we were there, it was negative 30 degrees with yeah. the wind whipping. I mean, it was so cold. It was insane. Well, that's, that's what it is, right? And you, you have those days. And it, Brian and I love going here to Mountain Creek. We were talking about it a little bit last week, right? That The local mountain here in Jersey that we go to. And, um, you know, you go up in the late, you know, late season, early spring before literally there's no snow left and there's, you're snowboarding down and it's my favorite because you're wearing just a sweatshirt, you're wearing your snow pants and you feel free, you feel like you can kind of do everything and you're dodging these massive craters in the middle of the snow that have just already melted and there's all sorts of, you know, rocks and gravel and everything popping yeah. through. So, but, but you go in the middle of winter, I mean, we would do night night season right we go at nighttime and hit some night runs and the wind would be howling and you're like man it is negative right now and this is not comfortable you got the hand warmers going and everything like that whereas out you would tell me out west you guys you know you snowboarding during the day and you're pretty comfortable um yeah we would have problems you know the dry air people always say we would have people come in from town and, and come into town and you know, go out at nighttime. It's you know, a hoodie and jeans because it, it felt nice. But meanwhile, you know, it was like in the teens. Um, it, it was crazy. I mean, with that snowpack and you know, on a sunny day, it's definitely a different type of cold. Much more dry, and it, it doesn't feel as cold. I think the snowpack helps that. You yeah. know, most days it'd be like 28, 24 bluebird days. The sun shining off the snow. It was just beautiful. Now, don't get me wrong, there was a couple of days like when storms would come in, you know, and they would have to shut down the lifts from Mid Mountain up. And when these huge snowstorms would come in and just dump snow and the wind was crazy. But the next day, you know, it would dump a foot, two feet of snow overnight. Yeah. Wake up the next morning, bluebird day, like fresh snow, blue sky. Uh, it's funny. Like, Summit County, the winter's playground, I think it's the winter's playground, they call it, or ski, something like that. But for that reason, just. You know, you got Vail there, Breck there, Copper, a basin, Keystone. I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving stuff out and just yeah, I'm sure. It dumps. It dumps. Yeah. It's as we're talking this, a buddy of mine's just texting me. He's like, he's like, bro, he's like, what are you doing for, for the winter here? You're getting a, a night pass at, at Creek. I'm like, uh, I was literally just talking about this with my cousin. Um, but he, so he bought, this guy bought a, I forget what they call it, but it's a season pass that's good at like a bunch of different mountains up in like uh, Vermont and whatnot. And he bought it last year, but they shut everything down so early because of COVID that like he was out probably a good handful of trips. Um, yeah. So he was trying to figure out what was going on with that. And uh, I guess he's not doing it. And that's why he's saying that he's like basically – he gets a uh, discounted ski with a friend tickets for the main season. Um, and he's going to let me know when they open up. So that's, that's cool. I mean, if, if we can do some, something like that. I would be worried about getting the season pass because yeah. like you said, if they close it completely down or then if they do the thing where it's, you said they're going to limit the number of people on there. So it's going to be like a waiting game. You could get up there and they could have a limit on the mountain yeah. because they're there for four or five hours. And who's to say those people are going to leave, you know? Right. Right. You don't know that. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Um, I'm, I'm laughing. I, I'm, I'm, my camera outside keeps triggering the that damn squirrel that we feed. We've we've aptly named him uh, Albert. He keeps coming up to the back steps and trying to look inside to get some food. So he's triggering the camera in front of me. I keep getting this pop up. And uh, you remind and, me of a you and your pet squirrels remind me. Of, I dated a girl in high school until I was probably in my, like twenty, 
you know, she was Native American and her, her grandmother lived in Cherokee, you know, off of Cherokee down in North Carolina. And they had pet squirrels and pet foxes. And the fox would actually come up and eat from her hand. That's going to be you with the squirrel. Uh, I don't know, man. The, it's, the squirrel will eat out of my hand. But, you know, we, we kind of pumped the brakes a little bit on that. Uh, Donna sent me this this article about Johnny Rotten. Um, so Johnny Rotten suffers flea bite to his, quote unquote, sex pistol following a squirrel rescue. So he had been feeding these squirrels that he had rescued out of his hands. And it turns out that he got fleas in, you know, his nether regions. And I'm like, Donna sent to me, she's like, how about we don't feed them out of our hands anymore? We can put food down for them. We could, you know, we went out and we got some nuts for them. We leave them on the back steps, but we're not feeding them out of our hands anymore because that's the last thing that we want. <laughs> I love Johnny Rotten. I mean, he seems like a crazy guy, but I have a feeling he, the squirrels he were feeding were probably like London squirrels or something with toys. <laughs> I mean, Ranger chases squirrels all the time and gets close to them. He's never got fleas. So who really knows where Mr. Rotten got those fleas from? Yeah, I guess you're right. But but there is, you know, I was laughing. I, yeah. Donna goes, you know, it's funny. Everywhere I go, April, my sister calls me. Um, she calls me St. Francis, right? Or Dr. Doolittle. And it's everywhere I go and anywhere I've ever gone, like somehow some sort of animal finds me and, you know, we take care of it for the time that I'm there. Like she was, she brought up, Donna brought up the time I was in Egypt and I sent her a picture from, we were just outside the Great Pyramids of Giza and sat down at a, at a hookah bar to get some tea and then get out of the sun for a little while. And this like two cats jump up on the table that out of nowhere and just sit down next to me. And my, one of my colleagues took a picture of me and was like, this is ridiculous. They're like, you're in Egypt, you know, they revere the cat as the guardians of the underworld, right? I believe is what it is. And it's like, yeah, here it is. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming next to you and it's, uh, you know, hanging out with you. So, yeah. So I, I, you know, the same like dogs and cats just attract to me and, and, you know, people call me Dr. Doolittle too, because of the way I'm dogs, dogs just, take to me in cats too it's it's crazy um it well, in the blood. i mean I, I love animals you know squirrels i mean they, they don't bother ranger hates squirrels um, yeah. they're his arch enemy that that's the only animal he'll chase after are squirrels i mean deer we have so many deer here by my house i saw that um that the deer thing last night yeah, yeah the, the pie bowl. again just it, it was in my backyard Range, I'll take them out at nighttime, and Ranger just will get within five feet of them and act like they're not even there. But the squirrel comes by, phew, yeah. he's gone. He's well, gone. Toby, my, my Doberman, when he was alive, he used to, I mean, he was very defensive in general regarding wild animals, but he hated the squirrels. Um, so I never really, I don't know, like there's this whole secret side of the world that you just never pay attention to. And, you know, you know being home, because of COVID and other reasons, I guess you just kind of tend to look outside more often or hang out outside and you realize that yeah. there's a heck of a lot more animals than, than you ever paid attention to. And it's like, I started watching these squirrels and the, this one squirrel must have escaped death somehow. So he's missing part of his tail. And oh, he's, the one, yeah, he's the one we call <laughs> Albert, but he's a, he's an absolute goofball. Like he'll run across the yard and like pounce on the other squirrels and they'll roll around and we call it pickle jumping. Cause that's what Finnegan, my cat does where they like basically jump straight up in the air and like straight backwards up. 10 feet. And you're like, how did you just do that? Um, but the squirrel does this and it's just, they're giant goofballs. Um, so I will not be feeding them out of my hands anymore. I think that's a, 
That's, we'll put a pause to that. I'll continue to feed that and I feed the birds. Back to the feed on the hand thing. Um, back when I was working, um, we, we did a, a lot of plumbing and AC work at this apartment complex in, in Dundalk, um, more of a city type of area, not, not a rural area, more urban. And um, one of the ladies who worked in the office had pet squirrels outside, probably 30. She fed on a daily basis and she would like let them crawl off their arms. It was insane. But these squirrels, she fed them so much. I mean, they were just like like the size of bunnies almost. It was oh crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely to the point of overfeeding and, and <laughs> they definitely they're well fed because they steal the bird seed as well. And um, you know, we were hoping that if we started giving them nuts on the patio, that they would leave the bird seed alone and allow yeah. the birds that we uh, that we Makes feed. Sense. But but they still attack the bird feeder. There's no there's no hope. Yeah, they they're they're fat. They're they're ridiculous. They're getting up there in size. Well, so back in high school too, where I went to high school, good old Towson Catholic, we had um I think there were oak trees on the one side of the building and. and a huge squirrel population and let me tell you how much enjoyment those squirrels bought, brought me in many of boring classes to watch them go nuts and play <laughs> like you said and just it, it was it was great you know you could just look out the window and just watch them just going nuts and playing but yeah yeah mr mr rotten I mean, mr rotten there you go that's um that's one that kind of caught me off guard yeah. this week i was like wow all right that's a great story you dug up <laughs> <laughs> well, speak, well, but speaking of great stories, you know, hopefully everyone saw this there. And I know you did. I sent it to you earlier this week, but there was a Florida man. As soon as you start a story with Florida man, you know, it's going to be awesome. Uh, he wrestles oh, yeah. his puppy from the jaws of an alligator. And I, I'm watching this thing and I'm like, man, like number one, that alligator, right. Is not big, but that thing will still mess you up. And that dog is tiny. Oh, yeah. But I mean, that alligator was a good, probably three and a half feet long. It easily, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I remember um, when I was in elementary school, we had this guidance counselor, and he was a crazy animal enthusiast. And, and he had somebody bring in an alligator, a baby alligator. Yeah. Probably a little, I think it was like in the two foot range. And that thing was strong. I mean, nah. that was quite impressive what that man did. And, and not to get hurt. I mean, the fact that he pried the jaws too. Yeah. I mean, those jaws are so strong. Yeah. The the it, pressure per square inch, I think, is what they go by, and it, they're they're massive. They're the I should say their strength is massive. I it looks, you know, you know, I used to go down to the Gold Coast and then visit my grandfather when he was still with us. And Brian and I would go down probably you know twice a year to go check in on him and and hang out down in Florida. We would do a lot of. Um, we'll call it pond fishing, but basically these ponds that are on golf courses, you know, they lived on a golf course. So we'd go down there and fish them. And supposedly there were no alligators there. So Brian and I would go bass fishing. We'd have some of the most productive bass fishing you could ever imagine because nobody fishes these things. No one fishes them. And, uh, you know, we never saw an alligator. So one time we're leaving and I'm, I'm driving out and I'm like, what is that swimming in the water there? And it's sure enough, it's an alligator. So I call grandpa when I get home and I'm like, Hey, like we saw an alligator, um, in your front pond there where Brian and I were fishing. He goes, Oh, they're there. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, food for thought because literally 24 hours earlier, Brian had a bass on, got tangled in the weeds and Brian went into the water to go get his fish out. So we will not be doing uh -huh. that next time we're here. 
Yeah. Florida, I'll link I mean, to that. <laughs> I mean, those alligators, there's no way. Like um, Scott Martin, the pro fisherman, Scott Martin, he lives down in Florida, I think, Lewiston area. And uh, he'll always do like these, he calls them SMC challenges, where we'll have other famous anglers come. And it's on his YouTube channel, and, and uh, they'll have like fishing competitions, and they're always out. Like one of them was, they were fishing in the Everglades and the winner had to do a cannonball into the Everglades and they did it. The, the, the losers, excuse me, had to jump in and they did it. I mean, that's not for me. Even I can't, like fishing down there, I would be even, in those canals, I would be weirded out even reaching down to grab the bass out of the water because, you know, those gators eat, eat bass. I mean, yeah, they see well, a bass on the hook. That, that's a free meal. Well, we saw a river otter in the, one of the other ponds and it was it was crazy we were fishing and this is where i caught my pb bass it was in this little pond so i was like man i'm gonna get him again and, and um lo and behold I, like no bite for like 20 minutes and all of a sudden on the far side of the pond i see this thing swimming around so i start to back away from the water because i'm like this is an alligator coming towards me yeah but the thing pops up and it's got a it's got a bass hanging out of its mouth and it's this monster looking <laughs> you know like beautiful looking creature and i took a video of it i think i posted it on my instagram if not I'll, I'll definitely make sure to do it but um what a cool looking thing it's like looking at it, it's like you better get out of here like i'm <laughs> this is my yeah, pond th th those are one creature that i i wouldn't want to mess with i mean they're just that's why when i saw that video i'm like oh. there's ranger never finished. hey ranger <laughs> when, tomorrow's his birthday so he thinks he can be uh oh he could do whatever he wants then yeah yeah so um when i saw that video I, I couldn't believe a the dog, the dog wasn't hurt, and, and, and b that the man opened the jaws like that, yeah. seeing that he jumped in there too. Because usually when there's a baby, there's a mama. I mean, no hesitation, he went in. I mean, he, he deserves an award. Only in Florida. Only in Florida. Only, only in Florida, man. Only in Florida. The Absolutely. state where I was born. You were. Maybe oh, that's right. right. Yeah. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. I was born in Maybe. Miami. Yep. You got that wrong. Yeah. Well, speaking well, of outdoor stuff in states, did you did you see that Utah voted to make hunting and fishing a constitutional right earlier I this did. month? I did. I did. I, I think that's awesome. Oh, man. I, so I, how could it not be a constitutional right? Really, if you think about it, right? Like it's... Well, in some states have laws, I, I believe, that you know, if you're hunting for substance, you don't have to have licenses, I believe. I think there's a few states like that. It might be, I think like Alaska, you know, the more um, rural states that are, you know, out there and nobody, but 100%, I think it should be constitutional, right? I mean. Yeah, and I think that that kind of goes with like clean air, clean water. I think it's, you yeah. know, you should be guaranteeing that, you know, this is not only accessible for people to, to do in places. I mean, you look here in New Jersey and I, I, I get so mad. Brian and I used to drive down this road going to our old apartment and um, the, the Passaic River's right along this road. And there was a nice little wooded section off to your right, but the left is all protected wetland. And the right, I assumed was part of the protected wetland. So we'd always joke, we'd say, oh, you know, you can park over here into the woods and you could fish right across there. And there's pike there, there's catfish, there's, you know, great bass fishing. And it's right off of this road. And I, 
took a long way home, uh, you know, maybe about a month ago, and I saw that this whole section to the right of the road where we used to park our car is gone. Like it's now, like there's a major highway on the other side, but it was a good, maybe a couple hundred, if not thousands acres of property that is now just, it's two major roadways. It looks like they're connecting the two and they're now putting strip malls on both sides. And you say, well, number one, in, in, in the modern world, yeah, well, you think like with everything going on in the world today, do you really need to be opening more stores? And if so, why aren't you utilizing the buildings that are already open that are already vacant? Because there are a lot of them. You don't need to Hundreds. be tearing down more property to build. Now, I'm very pro-democracy. I'm very pro-capitalism. I just, there's something here that says like, you need to pause and say, why did the town allow this to happen? There's already tons of stores. There's already tons of commerce happening. You've got on that entire highway there, that is nothing but stores up and down it. You don't need to build anymore. You don't need to put no. more townhouses or condos. We have plenty of them here. And this is something that that plagues New Jersey and I'm sure plagues other places as well. I mean, we, I, I posted something on my Instagram about um, Costa Rica. Donna and I went back in, oh geez, 2000, 2004, 2005 maybe. Yeah, it's and, been a while. And the beach that we stayed at was pristine, beautiful, untouched. There was this resort on it and then nothing else. There was, I think, a bar, like a locals bar all the way down, nothing else. Two years after we, we went there, we wanted to see maybe we would go back. So we started doing a little bit of research and we saw that they were building luxury condos on the beach there. And you say to yourself, once again, it's like, for what? Like right. I, for what? For what purpose? Like so that people from the United States can go down there and buy these up and then not live there and just come to visit or rent them out when people come. Like it's just well, there has to be some sort of balance here. And I, I, I right. don't know what the answer is. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely pro development in some way, shape or form. But you have to do so in a way that really makes sense. So, for example, here we have the bay. I'm in Maryland, near the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. And there's an area by me called White Marsh. White Marsh. And between White Marsh and I think it's like Essex and all that, it's all marsh and all, you know, wetlands and stuff like that. It was protected wetlands. And they built, just like you guys, a highway that connected the two of them through it, through the wetlands. And they're building all this stuff on there. And, and they complain about pollution in the bay, which is definitely a problem. Why the hell are you doing that then? And the other thing is, Baltimore, there's so many... GD vacant buildings everywhere. Not even just that, around me. I mean, there's better places to build. Why did they choose to do it right there? And, and then they're going to add a rain tax on you in Maryland because they say pollution in the bay. Well, why do they approve building that highway through wetlands and marsh that connect to the bay? That, I mean, they're so close to it. I mean, once you get to the end of the highway, the bay is there. I mean, the almighty wow. dollar that's that's why it all comes down to the almighty dollar you know that and i know that and and the towns look at it as you know their businesses too right they're they're looking for income from taxes and other things and it's um i i, I don't agree with it i think that it's it's frustrating there's got to be a like better said, way to do it like you said i i can think of 10 different first off they didn't need a quicker way to cut between the two because there's already a way but i, I can think of 20 different better ways they cut a could have done this right and when they started doing that i don't know probably six seven years ago maybe longer now i mean i couldn't believe it i was just like why you know yeah you're taking this land that was once 
I mean, that's what it was. It was marshes all around the bay yeah. in wetlands, and they're just well, it's disheartening, man. It's things on it. It's in, disheartening. In the bay. Especially yeah. like you said, I was down the Potomac this this past <clears> weekend, <throat> and, and the Potomac bite this year. You know, the Potomac was a place you can go and catch great fish and just have a great time. But this year, the bite's been really, really off. Just not there i mean we went out saturday and we were out for seven eight hours it's a beautiful day water temps were in the mid 50s it's fall the air temp was like 65 i mean the bass should have been biting i talked to 10 different guys who were out there in 10 different boats nobody called any large amount nobody like you know where where are they <laughs> yeah well it's, I- it's, this kind of goes back to we were talking about last week about the bat thing that Donna and I went to and, and we were talking about uh, I believe they're called foundation species right and this yep. you know we, we're naive to think that we're not part of a greater ecosystem and, and naive to think that we don't play a bigger part in the universe at large um, because there are things that you know we definitely interrupt on a day-to-day basis that causes this ripple effect across everything and you know you i don't know like you just look at these you look at these places and you say all right well the Passaic river is not known to be a necessarily clean river right like there it's known on the at least on the it could be, floor. It could be but but the the actual the largest freshwater pearl ever was found in the Passaic river or a tributary well, I didn't know that. yeah so it's actually owned by the queen of england now but the Lower portions of the Passaic River are disgusting. That's where they used to dump ancient Agent Orange um, after the war, right? And so after a rain, like, you don't want to be fishing there. But people think, like, oh, well, you know, we're so modern and we're so great with the way things are being done today that there's no, you know, we're, we're fine. We have to worry about other things and other pollutants. It's like, well, no, when you build houses along rivers, even advertent, like inadvertently, you're probably going to be polluting. You have people that are fertilizing their lawn because everyone wants a green lawn. That gets into the rivers, the lakes, and, and then the ocean, and that causes all sorts of problems. You have blow off from people's garbage. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not out in front of my house picking up garbage because people's trash cans blow over and trash just floats across. If you're on a waterway, that's going to get into the water. Like even by me, like I can't tell you how many times I'm driving and I see people just roll down their window and let their trash fly. And that all goes back into the bay. I mean, we're so close to the bay that all our storm runoff, drain runoff, that's where it goes, the bay. And I, I, I just don't understand people who can just litter so easy and not think twice and just let fly their, 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 their trash out the window or, you know, wherever. Like the trash cans get knocked over, I understand that. That happens, we had a raccoon last summer and got in our trash a couple of times. But you know what, the next morning, every one of my neighbors and myself are out there picking our trash up and bagging it and, and taking care of it. But it, it, it's crazy to me because those kind of things have effects, like you said, to the environment and the, and the outdoors that we love. And it, it's, 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 it's sad. It, it's really sad to see it in, in the construction around these beautiful places. You know, I, I get it you know, tourist dollars, whatever, but there's got to be a better way to do it. You know, 
that helped save. Because I remember that whole building boom in Costa Rica. Yeah. You know, uh, back when I had the surf shop, we had a, um, an investor who wanted to invest to build a skate park, indoor skate park. Well, he pulled out last minute because him and his buddies had the opportunity to buy all this oceanfront property in Costa Rica to build those condos. So, well, we looked when we when we were down there. We just for I'll say for shits and giggles, we decided to look at at places that we can buy, and we found it was a modest house, but it was on like 10, 15 acres of oceanfront property. And it was like the U.S. equivalent of, I think it was $60,000. Yes. And yes. you couldn't touch that now down there. Like it's, yeah. it's maddening. But, you know, you have that here. And we were talking to a friend about um, getting property somewhere down. Um, he's moving to South Carolina. And he said, you know, oh, you know, the waterfront property on the intercoastal down there has really skyrocketed over the past like three, four years. He's like, I wish we had moved down there. And I said, well, you know, they're not building more oceanfront property. Like it is what it is, unless you're in Dubai or whatever, where they're yeah. making islands, but like- Making islands. Or... Right. But you <laughs> you have a, a responsibility as, as a person, a citizen of the world to, to maintain the environment in which we live. Like don't trash yeah. it. Don't leave it, leave it better than you found it. That's something that I always preach, especially when fishing. Like I'm always taking well, stuff out of trees. You know, when I took Cub Scouts, that was our- Back when I was a little kid, that was the big thing. You know, if we would go camping, they would always say, leave it neater than it was when we came. You know, pick yeah. everything up, make it even better. Maybe that's where I caught it from. I was a Cub Scout for a year before my that's trip exactly disbanded. That's exactly where you got it from. Yeah. They always say that. Always say that. And, and that that's a good thing to live by. You know, I know a lot of surfers, and I do too. If they go to the beach, they say, you know, pick up, always pick up a bag of trash with you, you know. It, it will help. It will help because that is another thing. How many people litter at the beach? Oh my God. It, it drives me nuts. Absolutely yeah. nuts. Well, spe speaking of litter, did you see that monolith discovered in remote Utah? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Metal object. So that they, someone's saying that they want to find out who it is because technically it's, they're considering it's somewhat of littering, right? Um, and I just actually, we saw this the other day, it was posted and um, they're trying to understand what it is, why it's there. Of course, my first, <laughs> my first thought was aliens, right? Um, aliens, I said, I said this to my mom, my mom goes aliens. And I'm like, well, you, you don't know that, right? Like, this is how, this is how those horror movies begin. There's some sort of random object, exactly. right? That's coming. Exactly. I'm not discounting that, but um, they're, but they're now- <laughs> this is the pre-invasion, yeah. But they just said something today. It was um, apparently someone looked back in Google Maps, and in 2016, it was still there. So it's been there for a while. I mean, it was at four years now. So in the if desert, you ever, um, I, I I fell into this strange genre of YouTube videos <laughs> ever since watching the Ghost Town Living. Of these, you know, there's, there's other people who live out in Nevada in, in those desertous areas who will go to these abandoned towns and abandoned mines. And mm -hmm. there's also a subset of people who go out there, artists and stuff, and will go out in the middle of nowhere and just erect some piece of what they call art. Art. Uh, I always wonder quote, that, air quote art. I yeah. always wonder if, if this is kind of what this is because there's one. Um, there's this one girl, Wonder Hussy. I watch her YouTube channel 
And she was up in Oregon. Okay. She's from Nevada. And she went to this spot and filmed all day. And, and she said when she got there, she found this new art thing or up there. And she posted a picture on Instagram before she posted the YouTube video. And the artist reached out to her and was like, we don't want you posting your YouTube video. We don't like, not very nice what they were saying, you know, to, but it was the same type of deal. They just went out there and planted something and now they don't want anybody to know about it. Well, that's not your, that's not your right, especially if it's well, on that's the what she was kind of saying. And she you like, shouldn't you know, have, probably, right. It's technically it she, considered right. graffiti or, or like even worse. I mean, there was that, there was that incident a, a couple of years ago where people were being sought after because they put graffiti on rock walls in the Southwest right. somewhere. I don't remember well, what that, national park it was, but like, this is basically the same. Yeah. What, what she was saying, she goes, you know, this, her argument, she did a video talking about, she's like, you know, this is public land. This, uh, this, I think it was national forest land or whatever it was called. And, and she was like, so I was like, screw those guys. I want I want to post it, but she yeah. decided not to. But listening to her talk about that to me, I mean, it was, it, it was aggravated as hell because why do people just think they can go out to these places and erect and do whatever they want? Right. Yeah. Like you said, well, the, the, we're land, we're public landowners, and I, I get that. And but once again, going back to what we were just saying, you have to be a good steward of of the land, of what we were left, and leave it, leave this place better than what we found it right. as humans. And it, but this, but this is a long time thing. And I actually, I was listening to the Meat Eater podcast, and I, I happened to cross something, and it, it was a what is it? A New York mag, um, November 9th article on mysteries. And I had heard about this, you know, maybe about a decade ago and it's called the great 21st century treasure hunt, a decade long, sometimes maddening, occasionally deadly brain scrambling search for gold in the American West. So, you know, of course, I think we all grew up on with Indiana Jones. I sent you something about Indiana Jones actually today, um, obsessed with it. That's great. Um, but the, writer of this, Benjamin Wallace, actually was on Meat Eater, and he was talking about this. Um, where is it? What's the guy's name? Um, so basically, this guy, Justin Posey, found this treasure, um, supposedly, or was involved. Yeah. What was it? I'm going to look at the link while you're talking. Yeah, I have it up. But this was interesting, because basically what happened was this supposed like millionaire artistic type person um, hid a treasure, a vast treasure somewhere in the American West, um, supposedly possibly on public land and said, okay, guys, I wrote this poem, Force Fen is the guy's name. Um, this is going to tell you exactly how and where to find my treasure. Um, but this isn't like, this isn't the first time this has happened. I, you know, I think it's the first time it's become a spectacle, right? This guy published the poem in a, in a book um, that he was then selling, which I think he donated some of the money, if I'm not mistaken, to the bookshop that it was um, being sold at. But um, Fenn hid this treasure and it was it was out there for quite a while, somewhere in the in the wilds of the West. Um, but you have that. I mean, you have a bunch of mysteries that happen out West and, you know, even well, yeah, here. When I, how old was I? I guess I was like 12. We went out to Arizona and we spent like four weeks out there one summer. And there was a story out in Arizona like that where um, a guy, I think around the turn of the century, had a huge gold claim. And, and it, this is a legitimate story. 
and he left like maps for his family to find the gold claims. You know, I, I don't think it's been found yet. I, I forget the guy's name, but there's still people looking for it. Um, there's a lot of that out there. Like watching those, you know, ghost well, town just- living. When he goes back in those mines, these guys, there's still gold in those mines. They'll point it out. I forget what this stuff's called. Um, the veins. The type of rock where there's silver and gold in it. And it's, it's everywhere out there. Did um, they, you know, it, it's still there. It's just, you know, I would love yeah. to do that kind of stuff. I well, you're, you're talking about the lost Dutchman's gold mine, right? Down in the superstitions yes. down by Phoenix. Yeah. Yes. So that, I mean, when Donna and I were in Arizona, we've been to Arizona twice now. Um, I've been three times in that area. And you see the superstition mountains in person and you just say, holy cow, man, like that is a whole lot of property and people have died looking for this. Um, but it's one of those great American mysteries that you know, just like this monolith out in Utah, like yeah. who knows what it is. You know, it may be something that, you know, someone had created, a, you know, some sort of geocache or some sort of something to be. <laughs> um something to be solved right like and it's very right. reminiscent of you ever hear down at langley right uh, langley virginia where the cia headquarters is there's a thing called cryptos yes. you ever hear cryptos yes uh, it's uh, jim sanborn created this um kind of i guess call it an artistic um overlay but it's it's a crypto basically codec that needs to be um, solved and apparently right now it's one of the most famous unsolved codes in the world but they're everywhere i mean you look you look at the world around us it's everywhere i mean this this goes back to even you know pre-modern history when we were out west we we went to three rivers in uh, new mexico and there was just all these petroglyphs everywhere and there's stuff there that you would look at and you'd say what the heck is this man like there's some interesting things out here like things that look like crosses and things that look like ufos and things yep. that look so, like so dinosaurs we arizona what was it is it montezuma state park that has the cave drawings and, and yeah and they built the native americans built um their homes up in the cliffs have you ever seen that place yeah, yeah. The, there's paintings in there like that where there's crosses and just stuff that you're like where did this come from it, it, it's it's crazy to see in another place in mexico i would have to go upstairs and get out of my book to tell you i gotta get that so i can tell you the name no it's okay you're you're talking about montezuma castle castle national monument so we we did make it there catherine's been there my sister Catherine. that place is amazing she said it is the same thing yeah man like that's really cool we'll link to that in the show notes because that if, if you're in the area down there i'm sorry to say i didn't make it but um Petroglyphs are, are super interesting. Like you think of this one thing because this pertains to it. Hold on one second. Yeah, of course. And I'll just continue. So you know, you look at the way petroglyphs have been created over the years and where they are. And and actually, Arizona is a prime example of this. Like out in the middle of the desert, I believe it's Petrified National Forest. Um, there's something carved in one of the rocks or one of the petrified logs that looks like a ship. It's like, well, who carved a ship in the middle of the desert? Um, so there's definitely a lot of mysteries that go on, especially here in the United States. Um, one of my favorite TV shows from a while ago um, was the author of uh, The Hooked X. You ever watch America on Earth, Joe? I did, yes. I like. I used to love that show. Yeah, um, I, it was very... 
I don't even think it's still on because it had been off the air for a while, right? It was on a history channel and then I think it switched over to the travel channel. But they, I was talking about um, the Petroglyph National Forest, how they had the petroglyphs of a, or drawings basically of ships in the middle of the desert, in the middle of oh, Arizona. Yeah. And I, I, I've been not, there. I've seen that. I don't know if it was Minoan ships or if it was Viking ships, but it was definitely something that was strange. So what are you looking at over there, your photo album? So we went to Mexico and, um, oh my, I gotta find the name of the place. So you know when you go to Mexico, you go to Cancun or we weren't in Cancun, we stayed at the, the more fancier place that's on the Caribbean with the bluer water. Um, it's not Cozumel. Um, you've stayed there before. It's outside Cancun. It's the Riviera Maya. Yes. So when you go to Cancun, you know, people go to the old Mayan temples and everything. You know, um, there's a real famous one that everybody goes to where you can climb the old Mayan temples. Well, we went to this one. I can't find the name. I left the brochure upstairs, even though I could go grab it. That the Mayan ruins are over 10 square miles and they haven't even unearthed. They said like 1% of it. And they have three different, so far they've unearthed three different of those sacrificial towers you can go up on to. Um, and it's one of the last ones you can still climb, the real big one. But on the tour, you go to an underwater cave. It's called, I think it's called a snow, right? Where, yeah. where the water so down there is real crystal where it's real crystal blue and you could swim and that's where they believed you would go when you die. Yeah. They had cave drawings in there. I, I got to find the brochure. I'll, I'll bring it up next podcast. So it's upstairs. They had cave drawings in there, the same thing with crosses and you like UFO things. And these were the mines. I mean, this was BC, I believe. Yeah. But right after Christ, I think it was just after it's either BC, late BC or early, early eighties. And the one we went to is not a very, at the time, was it very well known. And um, it, it was crazy to see that stuff. And you can't see the pictures on here, but you, you could hike to the top of the temples. And in the temples where the people would get ready to be sacrificed, they would have drawings of the same type of stuff. It was bizarre. Well, I, I think that there's, you know, and this is American Earth, you know, you talk about kind of the gray area of history is there's a lot of unknown. I think the Southwest and even down to Mexico and beyond, it's this this gray area of history. There was, um, oh, I'm going to slaughter the name of the book I read this year, but they were talking about our understanding of history. And um, it it's not as clear cut as we'd like to believe it is. No. Um, and you think of, you know, the, the Grand Canyon is this revered place, the um, native culture in that area, they believe that that was the place of the emergence, right? They were the coming from the, I want to say the second dimension to the third dimension, I might have that wrong. Um, but there are these sites there that are somewhat off limits, I believe, that it looks like something had actually come through the ground and pushed up through it. Um, but, you know, there's some cool stuff out there, man. And uh, you could spend a lifetime researching it and, and, and yeah. seeing what's out there and not even begin to touch it because people don't research everything. I mean, you, the, the one book that I was talking about, he was, he was saying that um, you, he's like, scientists believe that, you know, this is how 
far we're deeping archaeologists. This is how far we're digging, and that's it. So, like, they don't believe that American people have been on the American continent beyond an earlier beyond a certain date, we'll say. Um, and when they hit that level of, of digging out an area, they stop. They don't dig any deeper because to yeah. them, there's no, you know, there's nothing to, to find beyond that. Um, but this is where like in, in Clovis in, in California, they found the Clovis point, um, you know, arrowheads and stuff like that, kind of proving that there was a Clovis man and there was, you know, something else going on here in the United States and in the Americas oh, yeah. long before that. And how... Yeah, it's kind of interesting well, stuff and, and their understanding well, like, of the world. You know, the belief used to be Columbus was the first to get to the Americas, but the Vikings are now pretty much considered the first. And for years, that was faux pas kind of thinking that if, if you said that in the community, you were kind of laughed at. You know, well, I think you still are. I mean, this is what this guy was saying. Um, you know, it's America before the key to um, the key to Earth lost civilization by Graham um, Hitchcock, I believe. Um, it, oh, I'm sorry, Graham Hancock. Um, and, and this book was phenomenal. Have you re have you read that? I have not read that one. Oh, Joe, you, you should you should listen to it. You definitely get a kick out of it. It's it's super interesting. Um, he wrote um, Magicians of the Gods and a couple other books that are, are pretty good as well. But you know, we you know he was talking about terraforming in in the um, down in South America and how the jungles were created and that you know this by all intents and purposes the the Amazon shouldn't be this biodiverse area you know it was actually the soil was created and there's writings that show that um, you know the, these prehistoric people were creating soil so that they could grow plants and you know then bring these animals in um, very interesting stuff and I, I don't know really too much in the eyes of what the scientific world thinks of yeah. of, of that theory, but um, you know, it, it's something to kind of pause and think about because there's a lot we don't know. Well, I know with the Viking thing back when I was in elementary school, that's when you started first hearing these rumblings of that. Yeah. And I've known, I know for a fact since then, that's became a much more considered yes, a mainstream view that yeah, they were here first up in was it Hudson Bay? I think up up in Canada. Yeah, they landed. Maybe not as far as Hudson Bay. No, they uh, did, but they, there was um, there's this rock in Rhode Island actually, right by yeah. where we grew up. Is it Massachusetts or Rhode Island? It, it was no, so it was Nova Scotia, and so there was obviously yeah, settlements in yes. Greenland, Nova Scotia, and then they found yeah. actual like remnants of huts and stuff like that, all up and down, and then actually they started finding um these rocks with so holes rock. in them. Yeah. That rock, once they proved that rock was real, you know, it disappeared in the middle of the night. It's gone. Came it. it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. gone. I, what it's is in the name of Smithsonian? I bet you. Well, I, who knows, right? I, I bet you. Wow. Yeah. Because it was like the Narragansett. They, they proved it. So the big thing I follow is the, the story of the, um, the, the Jamestown settlers, the ones who disappeared. No, the Roanoke, 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 yeah, because <clears throat> it's North Carolina, and, and it was always rumored by where my mother's um, beach house is that they ended up in that area. Well, these guys have pretty much proven now that they, they have been. They were doing these digs back in the um, sounds and stuff like that off the sounds. I forget the college down there is doing it. 
they actually had a special about it. And they were finding pottery from the Roanoke days at this camp, they believe that they actually went to with the Native Americans to set up and that's where they lived. And, and they proved by dating and by the type of pottery it is that that's where they're at. And they found all these different artifacts. You know, people thought they were crazy for all, all these years of doing it, but they, they, they found this map and they, they, they found in the map, like it wasn't marked on the map, but they, they found this spot that they knew it was, it was like their go-to spot if something happened and they found that map and that's where all that stuff was found. I so. see that's super interesting. But to, to jump back, so I, I just wikipedia right? Uh, the Narragansett runestone is what it's called up in Rhode Island. Yes. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's a two and a half ton slab of meta sandstone located in Rhode Island, United States. It is inscribed with two rows of symbols which have some indicated resembled ancient runic characters. The stone was stolen in 2012. On April 26, 2013, the Rhode Island Attorney General announced that the rock was recovered after an individual came forward with information. The rock was moved to the University of Rhode Island School of Oceanography for testing, but tests were not carried out because it would have required damaging the stone. In January 2014, plans were announced to move the runestone to Goddard Memorial State Park in East Greenwich. In October 2015, the runestone was placed for a long-term public viewing in Workford, a village north of North Kingston, Rhode Island. So they, they were able to recover it, but that's interesting that it had come out. I, I believe it was stolen pretty much the like the season after America on Earth talked about yes. it. Yeah. And then he yep. talked about yeah. it and was like, it's gone. America uh, on Earth did a whole big special about it. I mean, for somebody to steal that stone, though, like the amount of work that had to go into it is And somebody had to see it. Yeah, you would have to have gotten a digger out there and a barge. Oh, dude, you, you, a huge backhoe. I mean, it was in the water. I mean, and they yeah. said it weighed tons and tons. Two. 2.5 ton slab like like right. let that sink in that is a massive piece of rock and it um, wasn't just like it was just on the land it wasn't like it was just on somebody's property it was in the ocean yeah was that you or me i think it was me i, I have random uh, alarms that sometimes go off and i have no idea why they go off <laughs> oh it's all good i so i wanted to show you this yeah I'll give you Quick plug, guys. If you're ever on Tapa Warehouse, this is a fish back, just fishing real quick, and you're looking for a swim jig, the Tom Monsoor swim jigs are absolutely incredible. And, and Tapa Warehouse has them, and I think they're only like $4.49. Just, just throw that out there because I had it in front of me because I'm putting Tapa away as we're talking. Yeah, you sent that to me, and I, I Dude. Have, haven't purchased them yet because I just bought a, I lost a bunch of my striper fishing stuff. Amazing. I got to get some of those amazing swim jigs and, and for 449 a hand tied swim jig amazing the flat out catch fish uh, <laughs> okay <that's it. laughs> well i think no i think that's a good place to end where we're just over an hour that we started recording however we're going to be trimming this down because we were kind of kind of bsing the first five minutes while <laughs> that's all right. i think that's what the people like I mean, it, I think we yeah pretty well yeah, Joe. Next week we'll talk a little bit more fishing and outdoors. Yeah, I want to talk about too about a few things. You know, I we more conspiracy theories too. Yeah, conspiracy theories, right? And outdoor stuff. I think that the, you know these history things. Yeah, everything kind of goes hand in hand. And the, you know, I one of the things that I always try and do when I get outside is to try to explore a little bit and see things. And I've definitely seen a lot of stuff in my days. And, well, we we know, definitely need to uh, 
trying to head out and get some pictures of our secret secret spot that has uh, actual Native American cave drawings that that is unknown unknown to the to academia science. world that we cannot share because yep. we do not want the government to come in and you know seize it. Seize it. Yeah. Well, let's start with that next time because we can talk a little bit about how petroglyphs typically do not the east coast native americans did not typically create petroglyphs and i think um typically is the word typically <laughs> typically it's a good word because we do have them i mean we have in west orange new jersey we have a thing called um turtleback oh, yeah. rock so turtleback zoo yeah. is because of turtleback rock and it's a rock that has been carved out supposedly carved out to look like an actual turtle shell which is super yeah. interesting it's not necessarily a, a petroglyph but it, it's you know early early art for sure um but joe th thank you brother and uh happy thanksgiving and yeah happy thanksgiving everybody we, we got to do this again soon maybe not wait a week in between i, yeah. I, I like doing the videos and it's a good time me too me too joe hey have a good one and we'll you talk too. later right? all right brother i'll see you all right bro bye All right, so that was the Hacker Outdoors podcast with Joey McCormick. If you liked what you heard, please give us a rating on whatever platform you are listening to or watching this on. Please check out the show notes below for some links about the topics we discussed today. So I thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a great weekend. And we'll talk again next week. Take care.